Welcome to Always West Seattle, the podcast where the people, places, and stories of West Seattle come together. I'm your host, Keith Bacon. This is the 21st episode of Always West Seattle and one year anniversary. And what a year it was. 2020 was obviously a tough year for a lot of people, myself included. At the beginning of the year, I was living the dream I'd worked for years to make a reality, splitting my time between Seattle and LA, working in entertainment marketing with one of the most renowned arts organizations in the country, and looking forward to another year of travel and concerts and adventures with friends all over the world. All that went away practically overnight, and in its absence, I became consumed with anxiety over all the bad news that was inundating us, from the emerging pandemic to the never-ending racial injustices, with the so-called leadership of our country seeming determined to completely destroy or sell America out, and me feeling powerless to stop it before all was lost. It also felt like a bad time to launch this project, which was something I'd been thinking about and working on in various forms for quite a few years, and then suddenly found myself wondering what the hell I was doing. But in those early months of 2020, when there were days I was afraid to set foot outside my own front door, doing this podcast actually turned out to be the thing that helped keep me afloat. It kept me thinking, challenged me to learn new things, and drove me to seek out meaningful connections gain some valuable perspective, and plan towards the future. It was also a chance to give back to my community, to share stories of friends and neighbors and total strangers, to show support in a very difficult time for the businesses and organizations that make my neighborhood so special to me, and also to acknowledge my privilege in being able to devote so much time and energy to a dream of mine. It wouldn't have happened without the support of some people that I want to thank. First is my husband, Corey Anton Hale, who created the look of Always West Seattle, edits all my music, and provides so much essential feedback and support. Laura Radford, executive director of the West Seattle Junction Association, was actually one of the first people who I shared this idea with, and her enthusiastic encouragement went a long way in getting it off the ground. When you have Laura Radford rooting for you, you're going to make it. Also, David Quantic, a very talented friend who produces the very sexy Fruit Bowl podcast, was instrumental in helping me get started. And the incredibly insightful Keisha Vaughn, signing on to be a regular contributor, instilled a lot of confidence and excitement in my pushing ahead. And of course, I'm so grateful for all the people who took time out of their lives to share their stories with me so that I could share them with you. Without you, I'm nothing. So thank you very much. I recently had the opportunity to be interviewed myself by West Seattleite Paul Casey for his radio show, Voices of Experience. Our talk really tells a lot of the story about where Always West Seattle came from and where it's headed, so I'll be playing that interview later in this first anniversary episode. And because I had such a good time talking with Paul for his show about sharing experience, I thought it'd be interesting to learn more about him in mine. Tell me in your own words what your show Voices of Experience is about. Voices of Experience is kind of what it says. I want to talk to people who have experience in their fields. Growing up, I just found that I had more connection with people who could talk about what they did, what mistakes they made, what they did well, rather than, let's say, the academic exercise about this is how you do it. And generally the people are maybe older, but not necessarily. I can interview someone who 
was in the Olympics and won a gold medal and she or he may be 18 years old. So it isn't just age driven, but I do really like to talk to people who have experience in what they do. And how did you get started doing it as a radio show? I first started publishing newspapers in the late 1980s. The newspaper I was doing because it was directed to older adults at the time, I called it maturing, but I never liked that. And I remember I had maturing on the masthead and then beneath it, voices of experience. And one day I looked at that and I went, that's what I want to do. So I switched the masthead, switched the title of the newspaper to Voices of Experience, and I felt much better about it. And then I hit a point where I started looking into radio. And at the time, I found out Kixi, K-I-X-I, A-M, had what they called paid programming on Sunday mornings. And Mm -hmm. it would be on from 6 to 10 a.m. So basically, I could buy time. And so I moved my advertisers over to the radio show. And so for the latter part of the 1990s, we would have a show, a travel show like Alki Tours. They were a very Mm -hmm. much part of my show. And we talk about travel opportunities. And then it would go on to, let's say, estate planning and a lawyer. And it worked very well. And I kind of dumped my newspaper and then did the radio thing. How many shows have you done since you started? I probably have done well over 100. I did a group of them from 1996 to, let's say, I'm going to say 2000. But at that point, my wife, she uh, was working at Microsoft. And Mm -hmm. someone peeked in her office and said, do you know anybody who's in radio? And she said, well, my husband does a radio show. He called me and he said, you know, we want to do some media buying. Could you do that? And I said, sure, I can do that. Basically, the next 15 years, I was doing that for Microsoft and also the Business Software Alliance, and I was doing their anti-piracy messaging throughout the country. So that really took my time, and I didn't have the radio show going at that time. And then that ended like in 2016, and I said, I loved what I was doing, so I got back into it with the same media group, it's Hubbard Media Group. And then did a show on which I'm doing now in KKNW for about the last four years. Are there any shows or guests that stand out as highlights to you? Well, when I was doing it in the 1990s, I had something called Profiles of Experience. And there's a little segment where I'd interview people, former governors of the state of Washington, former mayors, entertainers, whatever the case may be, into the theme of, of Voices of Experience. And by talking to former governors or former mayors, I found the interviews much more compelling because they're not as guarded now. They're former mayors and they can really say the mistakes they made. They had nothing to lose at that point. Right, (laughs) exactly. And I did these in the late 1990s. And sometimes I'd ask, are you optimistic about the future of Seattle or the state of Washington or the country? And I'd say in some of them, 20, 25 years from now, we're we're there right now, you know, in terms of what they would be thinking. And 90% of them, said, yes, I am very optimistic. They saw Seattle becoming an international city. They saw it becoming more multicultural and they applauded that. But they also said there's going to be big challenges like with growth and cost and things like that. So when I go back and listen to it, a lot of those people really were on the projections of what was going to happen, but they had a great deal of optimism. Now, one individual by the name of Jim Ellis, and I don't know if you know the name Jim Ellis. I don't. 
Well, he was, a, in my lifetime, probably the biggest civic leader we've ever had. And I think anybody around who's lived in Seattle would agree with that. He was the one who led Seattle into getting primary treatment plants long before the EPA was created. Seattle was a leader in that, in cleaning up Lake Washington and Puget Sound. In the 1950s, you couldn't swim in Puget Sound or you couldn't swim in Lake Washington. There were signs up all over the place because it was so polluted. But Jim Ellis was the one who did that. He got the convention center here and did so much more transit. It was all a lot of the fingerprints of Jim Ellis. Now, I go through that because he was one of the few people who said, I'm concerned about the future. And he said, because we are not having dialogue with each other. I'm afraid that we are shouting at each other. We're not working together. And I'm concerned about that. Well, I think he was really right on target there as to how things turned out. What have you learned about interviewing and talking to people in general? I would say being a better listener than trying to not just get my point across, really listen to what they're saying and let the interview go where it will go and not trying to control that so much. So that's one of the things I think I've learned. And I'm just curious about different things that go on, whether whatever the case may be. And again, talking to people who have been around for a while and what their thoughts are, like right now, what's going on in the city. What do they think? Again, I don't want to be that guy in the front lawn yelling at people. Well, you know, this is the way it was when I was young. And why can't we do this now? I mean, there's a lot of good things that are going on in Seattle, even through all of the troubles we've had, the West Seattle Bridge, COVID, everything. But you don't want to be that I say individual, trying to just say we knew a better way, but to bring hopefully some of that history back and have people appreciate that. That's actually one of the reasons I started this podcast was I hate the sound of my own voice and I was never really intending for it to be all about me. I, I want to go out into my neighborhood and my community and talk to people and hear from them and make it about other people's voices, not mine. Since then, people have said, oh, you have such an amazing voice for radio and for this sort of thing, which is really surprising to me. But it really is about listening, which is uh, something I, I really love. Well, you do have a really good voice. I'll, I will I'll, uh, <laughs> second that. And I agree. And, and I've listened to some of your podcasts just recently and the diversity of people you're having on it is really great. And it really shows West Seattle and all the people we live there. You're bringing that out. Thank you. Thank you very much. Your tagline for Voices of Experience is uh, your network for slow news. Tell me more about what that means. Well, my wife came up with that one and basically to get away from the 24-7 news cycle every day. We're chasing our tails. There are people that I know that are watching CNN all day and all these things. And I think there is a cost to be paid for that. We get used to all of the turmoil and we kind of normalize it. I want to be an outlet that you go and you can hear some well thought out interviews and do things that will not be chasing the daily story. There's enough of that there. So that's kind of what, um, when she said that, I went, that's it. Thank you, mm -hmm. you know, to her. <laughs> that is definitely something I learned last year about limiting my news intake, because there were definitely days or weeks where 
you know, I was glued to my screens and those were some of my darkest days, you know, <laughs> when I stepped away from that and went outside for a walk or just avoided, you know, like the constant intake, it was a lot better for my well-being. I think you can get addicted to it, not you, but we all can get addicted to it. You just are turning it on. I will share with people. I don't watch the news at all. I mean, CNN, I haven't watched that in five years other than when the president got elected and he was inaugurated and certainly the insurrection in the Capitol, I was watching it, but I was able to get off it quickly too. And I'm glad I am. So I, I really try to focus on going deeper into what we can learn and project in a big way going forward. Maybe that sounds a little esoteric, but that's what I work on trying to do. You've written a book called Pre-Flight Checklist is Self-Employment Right for You, which is an area quite a few people have been exploring during the pandemic after losing their jobs or refocusing on a side hustle or wanting to stay home. Without giving everything in the book away, what are some of the most important things someone should consider before going into business for themselves? I have two things in the book that I think I've received the best feedback from. One is I talk about the eight myths about going into business for yourself. And that's been a lifelong lesson because I've been in business for myself 30 years. The things that I thought I knew about it going into it, a lot of things just weren't the case. So I wanted to share that in the book. And those are some of the myths that I believed in. And secondly, I have what is called the self-employment quiz. And uh, in that I have 20 questions and it's a five minute quiz. And what I submit is that the higher you score on this quiz, the higher your prospects for success by going into business for yourself. The good news is that there's nothing on that quiz that you cannot improve upon. My inspiration for the book really was, I've read that 80% of people going into business for themselves fail. Wow. And of course, being self-employed for many people means working from home, something I've been doing for about 25 years now. And, and I've always said it's not for everyone until suddenly last year when it became almost an overnight necessity for many people. Uh, what's your advice for people working from home, whether you've just started or have been doing it for a long time? Well, I've always advised people to keep their overhead low in the beginning and work out of your basement. So this is nothing new to me to choose a business that you can do that. I'm about increasing your prospects for success. Actually, it's a blessing, I think, for a lot of people. And uh, when things opened back up, maybe people go, actually, this works in here, especially with Zoom and all the things that we have and the connections we can make. And whether you're in your basement or your bedroom or wherever, taking advantage of all these ways we have to keep connected, my advice is to take some breaks, shut it all down a few times a day and connect with your surroundings. Go outside, do something for yourself for a quick reset and actually enjoy the benefit of working where you live. In our interview on your show, we talked a little bit about how we each came to live in West Seattle and how much we love it here. What are some of the specific or uniquely West Seattle things about our area that you're a fan of? Well, first of all, I'm struck by the beauty. It's got everything in the peninsula. I mean, you've got Alki, then you drive around Beach, Lincoln Park. I mean, those are just absolute jewels. So the scenery is incredible. I've seen West Seattle grow in terms of restaurants and nightlife and things like that. That's been a little slow, but it's getting there and certainly has taken a huge step back because of the pandemic, but it will come back, I'm sure, and get back to hopefully building in the direction it was going. 
And the people I really enjoy because the history there, it's not such a neighborhood where people are moving in and out. There's a woman who just passed away three months ago, a next door neighbor. She was 99 years old. She was like two or three months short of her hundredth birthday. She was born in that house mm. next door to me. Wow. You don't see that a lot in this area of everybody moving in and moving out. And it's got that, you know, legacy of it that people really are West Seattleites, third and fourth generations. That's really not heard of a lot in Seattle because it's such a migratory city with Microsoft and Amazon and people coming in and out, Boeing, you know, before that. So to have a neighborhood like that, that have so many people there who have been there forever, I, I think is just really intriguing and it's kept me there. I moved there in 1978 mm -hmm. when I was driving up from Olympia. I lost my job there because the governor I was working for decided not to run for another term. A new governor came in. And I remember my mother, when I was like nine years old, we were living in Bellevue. And we got in the car and we drove. And I remember coming around the corner on Alki looking at that. And I thought at that moment, I want to live here someday. And I was driving up Interstate 5. I had my clothes in my car. It was a Cortina that was big enough for everything, <laughs> my possessions. And I got off on the uh, West Seattle Bridge, then was the drawbridge, and uh, drove around the corner and got a studio apartment right on Alki Beach. Awesome. Kind of been there ever since. But I did move downtown for nine years, but then moved back to West Seattle about 2000. That is a create your own reality story if there ever was one. <laughs> I just started this uh, new segment on the podcast called Tastemakers, where I do a deep dive into a beloved West Seattle food or beverage item. I started with the West Five Mai Tai. Uh, is there one favorite thing to eat or drink in West Seattle? What would it be for you and why? I like just the diversity of going down in Alki and some of those restaurants. There are some places, that, gosh, it was a Pacific Room that was opened up and closed, unfortunately, but I certainly enjoyed that. And they made a great Manhattan, mm. but that no longer exists. And I like to just kind of visit some of the Thai restaurants in California. I love Thai food. So that's always a good staple for me. I love Jack's and look forward to the going back to there. And, um, you know, just so much diversity there now. I'll just jump in and out. But I'm looking forward to exploring more of those places. Hopefully, again, it'll open up sooner than later. You know, who else makes a really good Manhattan is me. And I'll have to make you one sometime. <laughs> there you go. That's great to hear. <laughs> We're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the West Seattle Bridge closure. Has anything good come of it for you personally or for our community? This is my second West Seattle Bridge closure. I just had moved to West Seattle when the first bridge got hit, the drawbridge. I realized now I was coming back pretty late from a party in Bellevue, which I probably shouldn't have been driving because it was like 2.30 in the morning. Mm. But that be as it may, I saw the drawbridge up in the air and I went, okay, it's just stuck. The next day, I'm sure it'll be fine. Well, it wasn't. And within a week, they said, this is irreparable. At that point, I was going, I'm out of here. I can't, the traffic's bad enough. Now with one drawbridge, it's going to be terrible. And then what happened, it was five years before the high level bridge was finished. It wasn't that bad. People adjusted. And West Seattleites adjusted. Maybe it would happen anywhere. So when this happened, we were actually in Palm Springs when it happened. And we came back to it. Mm -hmm. And it's a pain, but I'm really glad 
that the city has done the right thing. I was strongly for repairing it rather than trying to look at some eight or 10 year plan without it. Mm -hmm. So I think they really made the, the right choice. It does not affect my life that much because I wasn't commuting every day. Right. Anyhow, I've worked out of my house. I have my own radio studio in the house. I got my booth and all that set up there. And so I work around the time. I'll make any appointment between 10 and 2 p.m. if I have to go somewhere else. And I just kind of live in that world. So I control that, which is one of the reasons I went into business for myself. I wanted to do that as much as possible. So the impact on me wasn't huge, but I'm very pleased. I think the mayor did make the right decision. I don't know how you feel, but I, I was very pleased and hopefully it will be open in about a year or a year and a half or so. Yeah, I feel like it was the right decision once they decided that it could actually be repaired. You know, that was the big thing at the time is like, will it or won't it, can it or can't it? And and they realized that they could do it. Yeah, I totally agree that that is the right decision. And what happens next? Will we still get light rail? Will there be a gondola that goes across Elliott Bay? <laughs> All these things that are being bandied right. about will be really interesting to see. Yeah, I, and I think there's so much that is going to happen. Will we get light rail? I don't know. And actually, I don't care. I'm not a big fan of light rail. But for the people who do, that's fair. But what a long-term effect will this pandemic have? Maybe people will not be commuting as much. We may not need it. Now, maybe not. It'd be like, this is temporary. We'll be back to the norm in downtown. We'll be bustling again, which I hope it is. Mm -hmm. But you know what I mean? The habits will change and how long that will be in play, who knows? And I just say, let's stand on the sidelines and see what develops here. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I really like about living here is, is the deep sense of history that we talked about, but also it's a place where things are happening and where the future is pretty exciting. Yes, I agree with that totally. And I love your podcast and it's badly needed. And, you know, I just hope you continue doing it. It's good for West Seattle, definitely. Thank you so much. Paul Casey's Voices of Experience airs on KKNWAM 1150, Tuesdays at 4 p.m. and Wednesdays at 8 a.m. You can also listen online at 1150kknw.com or on voicesofexperience.com. And now, here's my talk with Paul for his show, Voices of Experience. The Southwest Historical Society preserves and promotes the history of the Duwamish Peninsula, which includes West Seattle, where I live. The Historical Society has an annual fundraiser. And this year, a good friend, Phil Frick, and a member of the Southwest Historical Society asked if I would donate airtime as an auction item in their annual fundraising event. I said, why not? So someone did come forth and he made a donation to the Southwest Historical Society to be on the show. His name is Keith Bacon. He has an extensive background in the entertainment industry. He's from Los Angeles. He moved to West Seattle in 2005. He just recently started a podcast called Always West Seattle. I will let him describe how he came up with that name. He started the podcast right when COVID-19 struck. Good timing, huh? So my first question, I asked him, did that give him pause about going forward? Yeah, I almost didn't launch it because I, you know, originally I was focusing a lot more on like what's happening in the community events and things like that. 
And and then I, you know, at the end of February, as as the tide was really starting to turn, I felt like, well, this isn't, you know, what I should be doing right now, um, encouraging people to go out and do things. Um, and so I, I almost didn't do it, even though it had all been recorded and done. But um, it's it's a project that I've been working on doing for a long time. So I just went ahead and decided, like, you know, if I don't do it now, then maybe I'll never do it. Uh, and so I put it out there. And the show definitely has evolved um, due in no small part to, to the pandemic and the restrictions and the realities that we're all dealing with. But I think it's evolved in a good way. Um, and I always expected it to evolve a little bit. Um, it just happened sooner and faster. And uh, but I'm, I'm I'm happy with where things are and where things are headed with it. Yeah. So along those lines, you had a different, obvious concept of it. And then COVID hits and you had to pivot and you're doing that. Uh, well, I mean, I think it really, it sort of provided a, in some ways an impetus to, to keep doing it <clears throat> between the pandemic and also the bridge closing. Suddenly, you know, West Seattle is this, is this island, so to speak. And so I felt like there was a purpose behind it in, in building community and uh, helping people connect with each other in our community. And so I felt that there was a great opportunity here to sort of, you know, build community through the podcast and share stories and interactions with people uh, that way. So that has been a huge plus. Um, and I think also just in sort of the format of the show, originally I set out to be sort of more um, time and date specific. And uh, while I still talk about things that are maybe in season at the farmer's market or something that's happening in the neighborhood around a certain time, it's it's less tied to a specific time now and, and a little bit more uh, evergreen, if you will. And how often does the uh, podcast come out? My goal is for uh, twice a month, and that'll definitely be the case moving forward. Now, are there other neighborhood-like podcasts that are similar to yours, maybe in Seattle or in other parts of the country, that you're kind of modeling yourself after? It's funny that you should ask that, because just the other day, um, I was kind of researching that to see if there were other podcasts that were similar to mine. There is another one that uh, in West Seattle called Podcast West Seattle, which is kind of more mm, NPR-style produced stories with uh, a lot more audio features, and, and I tend to focus more on just interviewing and talking to people. Um, but that's a great podcast, and um, there's a couple of others that I, I discovered yesterday, one uh, based out of Camino Island and another one based out of Bainbridge Island. How did you find your way to West Seattle? I moved to Seattle in 2004, and before I moved up here, here uh, from Los Angeles, I used to visit a lot. I've, I've had a lot of friends in the city for a long time. And a lot of times when I'd come up before I moved up, I would mention something that I had read about in West Seattle, you know, like a Mashiko or the Benbo or, or some other place. Um, and when I would mention it to my friends up here, they would say, oh, that's in West Seattle, as if it was this far off land that, you know, just nobody went to. And that actually was intriguing to me. Um, and so not long after getting here, uh, I bought a place right in the Alaska junction and I've been, uh, I lived there starting in 2005 and I just love it. I, I love, uh, that it's what I describe as so close yet so far away to the city now a little bit more far away <laughs> with the bridge situation. 
But I especially love the the really strong sense of community here and uh, the kinds of unique things that happen here among my neighbors, among the businesses, among all the you know cultural and civic institutions. I think it's really really great, and I'm I'm just very happy that I'm, I wound up here. Yeah, I had the same experience moving uh, actually to West Seattle in the late 1970s, and I had just gotten uh-huh. off an internship in Olympia. And it ended, and I was driving up the freeway, and I got off at West Seattle and lived on Alki, and I've really been there in West Seattle ever since. Now, I did move downtown in the 90s and uh, lived uh, in Belltown, but I did migrate back to West Seattle in about 2000, and I echo the same thing that you have said. And first of all, it's like, why would you live in West Seattle? And I went, why would you not? And uh, then the community, the neighborhoods, the beauty of the place, the diversity of the scenery, the people. I mean, I love it. And it's really hard for me imagining living anywhere else. Absolutely. And I've had uh, friends who have been listening to my podcast uh, from different parts of the country and world, quite a few of whom have said to me, I want to live in West Seattle. And doing that kind of uh, street interview where I'm surveying a lot of different people was was a a big original goal for me with the podcast. And uh, what would generally you describe your format as? I frequently talk to the farmer's market, which happens every Sunday in the junction, about what's in season there, where to find it, what's going on. They, this year, of course, they had a lot of changes with how the market actually ran. So there was a lot of information to sort of convey there. I talk with Eric at Pegasus Books frequently about what people are reading, uh, what people are asking and seeking out for him, um, and uh, he usually makes a couple of great recommendations. I have another feature with uh, Keisha Vaughn. Her segment is called Hot Dish, and she used to uh, work occasionally as a server at Easy Street Cafe. And then other segments are just things that I sort of discover from either just being in the junction and talking to people or reading West Seattle blog or, you know, some of the Facebook groups devoted to uh, West Seattle or just, uh, you know, occasionally people have actually started pitching me um, ideas and things. So um, it's it's just kind of uh, whatever I encounter with a few regular recurring features that people seem to like. Yeah, I really wish you well on this. This is a great concept, and I was very excited to talk to you about this. And I'm, I wasn't familiar with the other podcast that was going on. And in the back of my mind, I was wondering, why don't we have one? And again, I wasn't aware of the one you just mentioned, but I'm certainly glad that this is up and going. And I, I really think this would be successful over the long run. Because um, as we talk about the uh, West Seattle, I think the show was good and you had good subjects. And as I say, there's really not going to be any shortage of really topics to talk about, I wouldn't think. Oh, yeah, I don't I don't think so either. I mean, I've just barely scratched the surface of the tip of the iceberg so far. So it's called Always West Seattle, and that's A-L-L, Ways West Seattle, Always West Seattle. Describe briefly how you came up with that title and why. Well, uh, it's in reference to the Walk Always intersection uh, at the intersection of California, Alaska, which is uh, the heart of the Alaska Junction. And many people would consider the heart of West Seattle as well. It's where so many of our community events happen and where people congregate. And so that was kind of my original inspiration. Talk to people 
in that part of the, the, the neighborhood and just, uh, and hear from them and, and see if I can find some interesting stories along the way. Sure. And how would I find your podcast? It's on most podcast services like Apple, Google, Amazon, and Spotify. Uh, the website is alwayspodcast.com. Um, and we have a Facebook page and a Twitter, which are also always podcasts. That's Keith Bacon, founder and host of Always West Seattle. That's capital A-L-L-W-A-Y-S, West Seattle. That's it for this episode of Always West Seattle. Thank you again for your support in this first year. And if you haven't subscribed or left a review yet, I'd sure appreciate it. And if there's something you'd like to share or hear about in the days ahead, drop me a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or email Keith at alwayspodcast.com. Always West Seattle is a Made with Bacon production. Interviews are edited for brevity and clarity. I'm Keith Bacon. Thanks for listening.